Hey, 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 what is happening, YVR Remo podcast listeners? Hope you're doing amazing uh, wherever you are, whenever you are, morning, afternoon, or evening. This is going to be a fun episode. This is a great episode. Uh, our guest today brought us beer, so right away it was instantly better. Uh, the guy who's joining us today is uh, a multi-talented uh, individual with incredible business experience in real estate and just generally speaking, just running different businesses and really, really interesting guy. His name is Jamie Schrader, uh, owner of a Royal Page franchise in Langley. I can't say enough good things about him. He's a philanthropist. He's a very successful individual and probably one of the nicest people that you ever, you'll ever meet. Uh, really appreciated Jamie coming down and sharing his insight on commercial real estate, building real estate, how, what he looks at when it comes to residential construction, uh, commercial real estate investment opportunities, how people can get involved in different ways, and his experience, which was very scary at uh, BCIT. Oh, and he told us about how he lost $2 million, $2 million bucks. So we did a lot of things here with uh, Jamie today, and he shared a lot of good stuff with us. Can't wait to share this episode. If you haven't done so already, make sure to leave that five-star review. That's all we look for from you guys. A five-star review will get you a beautiful Thrive mug and a delicious cup of coffee. Make sure to enjoy this episode. Reach out to Jamie if this was impactful to you in any way, and please definitely share this with your friends and family. Enjoy the episode, guys. We'll talk to you soon. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. What's up, Jamie? Hi. I like it. <laughs> Let's start things uh, awkwardly today. Why not? <laughs> Thanks for joining us, buddy. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Awesome, man. Awesome. So a uh, little shout out here to one of our past guests who joined the show not long ago, uh, Mr. Garbit, uh, our good friend, uh, Jamie over here, uh, brought a uh, beautiful camp beer. So they're one-upping Steel Oak right now. And our friends at Farm, we still love you. We still love you. <laughs> but this is delicious, man. Delicious beer. Uh, this obviously podcast is more about real estate, but you brought us beer. So we're going to talk about this for a quick second. Tell us a little bit about Camp Man. Yeah. So I'm trying to follow in James Garbett's footsteps. We share a name, Jamie. He likes to go by in on the beer side of things. Um, we're both in real estate. He started Steel and Oak, uh, which is one of the best breweries in BC. Um, I ran into uh, my current partner now, Kevin. Um, just traveling, exploring breweries. We kept running into each other. He was a really good beer guy. Um, I understood the business side of things and real estate, obviously, which is a very significant hurdle for breweries. We got together, started chatting. We're partners. It's awesome. Cool. Beer's fun. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I like it. So he knows the way to our heart. Uh, we're going to have to pump this podcast up big time. Uh, so guys, thanks for joining us today. We're with uh, Jamie Schrader. Uh, what do we even, what do you, uh, you got Jamie Schrader. He does, uh, he's got a brewery in his name. Uh, Royal LePage obviously is, is where your start is. Yep. Uh, start was, I think. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, uh, you invest in commercial real estate. We've got some experience with residential real estate, leading a team. Uh, there's nothing that you can't do. Pretty incredible. <laughs> Plus I heard you just had a new child. So yes. Congratulations yeah. on yeah. that. Congrats. Yeah. Um, thanks. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll not compare how many children anyone has <laughs> this, but we'll keep kind of rocking yeah, I think along. Dean has a couple more than me. He's winning that race. <laughs> yeah, just a few. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, man. And uh, for anybody listening to this episode, Jamie, uh, we're really undervaluing uh, the experience that you're bringing to us, uh, bringing to us in the podcast today. Uh, you've got so much experience and 
Uh, it, it really, I don't think we'd have enough time in one episode to cover even a percentage of that or a small percentage of that. So we're going to try today for anybody listening into the podcast right now to kind of extract a little bit of knowledge from Jamie's brain. A lot of it's commercial real estate. A little bit is actually about running a real estate business and a team. Um, and we're going to try and do a little bit of everything hopefully today and Sweet. extract some good information. I'm here again with, uh, my partner Dean today, Derek's on the sidelines for this episode, hanging out there actually doing the mortgages so we can <laughs> hang out and drink beer with Jamie uh, and we'll rock right into it. So Dean, why don't you take us, kick us off, my man? Yeah, I think like first for me, how, I guess two part question, why real estate and, and how'd you get involved? Yeah. So the why real estate's a bit of a longer story. I'll, I'll shorten it as much as I can. Um, I wasn't a, a good student in high school. I, I liked being there, but I didn't like being in class. Um, so post-secondary was going to be a challenge for me to get into any good programs. Um, the real estate program out of BCIT is what I eventually ended up doing. And that was a long story there too. I didn't get into it originally. And I pestered the program head to let me into the program to the extent of like, I was in class for 30 days before I was actually admitted into the program. Um, he is now actually my business coach. So there's a lesson in perseverance. Um, I was living at home at the time. My parents got a phone call that like, I was getting kicked out of BCIT because I was showing up to the wrong program because <laughs> I was enrolled in a different one and I wanted to be in his. So I just always had an interest in real estate. Um, there's no family involved. Um, that wasn't the draw. It was just a, a natural interest. And then when I got into it, um, the first exposure was obviously BCIT. And I, I saw how many different things you could do in real estate. Um, real estate to me isn't just being a realtor, or being a mortgage broker. It's um, There's a ton of different asset classes you can deal with. There's a ton of different ways you can deal in those asset classes. And that variety just grabbed my attention. And then when I first got into real estate, I was very, very lucky. I got hired by the fellow that owned the Royal Page brokerage in Langley at the time, who was friends with my program head. That was where the connection was made. And he ran a few businesses in real estate. And again, I got to see that um, breadth of the real estate industry. So he had real estate brokerage, a property management business, a mech. He, wow. de- he dealt with quite a bit and he was a good investor himself. Um, so I started working with him and then three years in, four years in, I was 23, 24 years old. I bought the brokerage from him with a partner, uh, three partners at the time down to just myself and another one right now. Um, and then I ended up buying his property management business from him. So I got that's, to see a lot. That's a lot, lot, that's a lot man. Yeah, a lot yeah. to unpack. And so... I mean, I want to go back uh, really quickly to the BCIT part because we started the conversation there. You mentioned that you started at 18 years old, which is pretty rare yeah. in itself. I think you mentioned that most of the people that were in the program were probably mid-20s. Yeah, the majority had degrees of some kind. It was There was two of us that were out of high school, and the rest of them had degrees. Every single person had a degree in that program. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. was that a little bit overwhelming? A little it bit was, yeah. Um, I had a good... I created a good friendship or a friendship grew with a guy that was, he was seven or eight years older than me, just had his first child. He had a degree and it was like, he couldn't fail. There was no option for him. And him and I got along really well. So 18 years old, post-secondary, like I, I wanted to be at the bar, right? Like I didn't <laughs> want to go to class, Fair. but him and I got along really well. And I saw his motivation and he helped me through that process significantly. And him and I are still good, good friends to this day. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. Um, you know, something in our previous er, earlier conversation that you mentioned about uh, about that BCT, BCIT experience is you, you mentioned it was obviously quite difficult. Yeah. 
uh, not just your age, but just generally speaking, there was a lot to learn. And, and you also mentioned a lot of the people that came out of that program were, were quite successful in commercial yeah. uh, real estate. And, and I don't want to take the wind out of Dean's sale, uh, sales because he has a question about the re- uh, commercial piece. But just going back to what you mentioned earlier about uh, how a number of those people uh, ended up being quite successful and you still look at them today as people that you would almost offer preferential treatment, maybe not so, but yeah. almost. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is, first and foremost, that people came out of this program, did so well, and, and why do you continue to lean heavily on that now? Yeah, so there, there's a respect if you get through that program because it's so difficult. Uh, um, we were doing eight courses a semester to give you an idea of like how hard it was. And I'll, I'll give you a really quick story to just, yeah. this'll, this'll sort of compartmentalize how difficult this program was or how, uh, how our program had dealt with us. So we did a lot of team projects and, and our program had Bill Phillips is his name. Um, it was always a think on your feet. There's never a, I don't know the answer. Think on your feet, figure it out. And if you don't know, figure it out fast. So we were, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks into the program, we had a group project. It was a feasibility study. And I still remember this very vividly. Um, it's one of those almost like PTSD situations. <laughs> so we have this feasibility study. We have to present it. It was supposed to be, we're given the project on a Monday. He says it's presenting on Friday. He tells us Tuesday afternoon, we're presenting Wednesday morning. He bumps the project up on us. And we're doing all these other projects at the same time. Nobody has time to get this project done, but you figure it out. We go to present it. There's four of us in the group and we don't have time to talk. So we split the project up as you would. And you do this section, you do this section. We get up there and I start and we're in suit and ties, right? Presenting this. And I, my name's Jamie and here are my partners. And I'm going to talk about this. And Alex is going to talk about this. Dean's going to talk about this. And Derek's going to talk about this. And great. And we're all standing up at the front. Bill walks back to the projector at the back of the room, pulls the plug out Home. <laughs> on our PowerPoint. I don't know what I'm presenting. Like it was just on the PowerPoint and I was going to read through the slides basically. Pulls the projector out on me. And I just looked at him like, I don't know what to do. Like all my information on the PowerPoint. He said, figure it out. So I, I start stumbling through it and like, I'm real pale skinned when I'm nervous, my <laughs> face goes beet red and it just like cherry tomato. I started sweating, couldn't figure it out. I'm stumbling through. I get to like the end of my section or what could be the end of my section. I say, and I'm going to pass it over to Alex and he's going to talk about uh, the marketing side of this. Bill says, Alex is sick, sit down. So Alex goes and sits down in his chair and Bill says, Jamie, you present marketing now. Oh and I just look at him like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, so that's, that was wow. the program. Like it was, uh, a, it wasn't academic. It was, it was very, um, functional, tactical, um, great instructors, great knowledge. And as a result of that, the people that came out of that program tended to be of a, a higher caliber. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, what we were talking about earlier was just yeah. the respect that a lot of the BCIT grads have in the commercial real estate world. For that reason. Yeah, it makes so much to take from that conversation there because I think, you know, one of the uh, the thoughts there in the real estate world and real estate space, a lot of people do come without any kind of formal ba- education and formal background, and they do pretty well. Yeah. A ton of people do really well uh, in, in this industry. Um, you know, and but it does make a lot of sense that in particular, and, and just transitioning into the commercial conversation, that you would need to have a little bit more of uh, maybe structure and an understanding really quickly early on to be able to do a good job, I guess, in an industry which is so challenging in yeah. the commercial space. So um, maybe maybe talk to us right away about why did you go the commercial route right off the bat instead of residential? Because that's the, obviously residential is considered the sexy, right? And yeah. You see, I mean, I don't know what you feel like, but usually when I see commercial real estate guys, they're 
They're a little bit older, yep. a little bit crusty, yep. and not really a fun conversation to have most of the time. Yeah. So what what gravitated you that direction? I affectionately refer to them as the old rich fat guys, which okay, I strive right. to be at one point in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but you said it, so we're going there. Uh, commercial real estate, the processes are archaic. Yeah. There's no central system for listings. There's no agreement to cooperate like there is in residential real estate. It's a hard business to navigate through. And that's why it's, it's the barriers to entry are very significant. And then even if you do kind of crack into a certain asset class in commercial real estate, it's hard to get traction because you're dealing with uh, typically some very well-established people that aren't willing to share information with you. Um, the reason why I slid towards it, I just, I had a bit of a background in it. Um, I've done residential real estate. We still do. Our team does quite a bit of residential volume. So um, I'm still on top of that in a very significant way, and I enjoy the residential side, but I, I just, I tended to like the more analytical nature of commercial real estate. It wasn't a, uh, I like that playground, or I don't like the color of the kitchen cabinets. It was mathematical more than anything. If you could, f you could f see the boxes that you needed to fit things in. Um, say, as an example, we had a, we have an industrial investor that needs a, a four and a half percent cap rate. They've got five million bucks to spend. If I hit those two marks, there's a very good chance they're going to acquire that asset. Okay. If you tell me you and your wife are looking for a million dollar house in Maple Ridge, there's a long process there. Oh, yeah. it's, it's going to take a while to figure that out. Residential realtors are the hardest working people that I have ever met in a lot of cases. Um, it's a it's a challenging business, and I think a lot of people. A lot of people have a perception that residential realtors make a lot of money and they don't do a lot of work, or some do, I should say that. Some people have that perception. There's so much patience involved with residential real estate and there's a lot of, um, a lot of unpaid work that goes on on that side of things. Right, yeah. yeah. So, I can imagine. I yeah. Mean, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, one, of, one of the biggest challenges I had getting into the industry at a really young age, like yourself, was the fact that I was young, yeah, yeah, and and just with the old rich guys in the commercial yeah. industry, like it would have been ten times harder. I can imagine, like getting in. What do you think helped you the most, being young and inexperienced, and then going into probably one of the hardest aspects of real estate? Yeah, great question. Um, perseverance and just drive. Like, um, I think a lot of people, and especially those, let's call them the old rich fat guys, just yeah. to be insulting and. <laughs> <laughs> not articulate. Um, they respect hard work and they respect effort. Um, so when they saw that I wouldn't take no for an answer, like if I called on a listing and they weren't returning my calls, I'd call again, I'd call again, I'd call again. And then when we finally were in the process of doing a deal, I'd figure it out. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write shitty offers cause we're allowed to swear on the podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't write shitty offers and, um, they, I think the, they recognize that. And I, I Dean, I, I would imagine you had the same thing. And Alex, you guys were both young when you got yeah. into the business that you just had to work harder than those that were established. And that's the same with every industry. It's so that's interesting to, to hear that as well, because, uh, you know, quite frequently when I'm talking to a younger person in the industry, whether it's a real estate agent or, or a mortgage professional, I mean, quite frequently the, the common feedback is, you know what? I, you know, I'm too young to be able to do that, or I look too young, or, you know, there's a variety of different yeah. things that you kind of hear and, and say, and I think, like, to your point, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's in your head, because if you work hard enough, people will, will overcome that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was blessed with a nice mustache when I was, <laughs> when I was 16 years old, so I never had to, over, I never had to overcome that issue, but... <laughs> Dean and I still can't grow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are you talking about? Shit. <laughs> so... 
uh, commercial real estate, it makes a lot of sense. It's the same way in, in our space, in the lending space, where it is kind of, quote unquote, hidden behind the bars, if you will. And I don't know if I would go as far out as to say the old rich white guy. Yeah, we will. We will. We'll go that way as well. <laughs> so it is kind of similar to that. But there's a lot of people that ask us, uh, a lot of our clients, when they're maybe they bought one or two real estate, uh, sorry, residential real estate properties, they start to wonder, like, what else is beyond this in in the commercial space, and we had a good conversation before uh, we started recording here today. I wish we recorded, but we'll we'll try to redo this again <laughs> about some of the benefits of considering uh, commercial real estate investing or uh, purchasing and owning versus residential. And that, and that's not to discredit residential because I own residential real estate, and so do you, and so does Dean. And so we've all had experience with both sides. So there's some diversification there, but. Maybe talk to us a little bit about, uh, you might have some examples, purchasing uh, commercial real estate for the purposes of, of investing. First and foremost, what were some of the initial challenges that you had to overcome in getting into into that space and what were you looking for? Yeah, um, so barriers to entry on commercial real estate investment are a lot higher than residential. Typically the prices are higher. The qualifications, and you guys might wanna chime in on this, uh, for mortgages are a lot more difficult. Um, in a lot of commercial financing scenarios, there's guarantees that have to be tied in corporately. There's certain debt ratios that need to be met that are a little bit more complicated in the residential side. The value of working with a good mortgage professional on that side is imperative um, to get that figured out. Um, when I first started getting into commercial real estate investing, um, obviously I had a bit of a background in it and understanding because I was selling the asset class that I wanted to get into. Um, our model today and what it was from day one was just cash flow. So we wouldn't look at anything unless there was a good amount of cash flow and our risk was mitigated on losing that cash flow. Um, one of the things we're working on right now, and we haven't really talked too much about this, we touched on it in our conversation before this though, um, was uh, one of the things we're working on right now is um, syndication in commercial real estate. So I've got a lot of uh, of clients and friends that are, are, are in the real estate investment world and they love the returns and the security that come from a $10 million strip mall, but they can't afford a $10 million strip mall. They might be able to afford an eight or $900,000 strata unit in an industrial warehouse, uh, an industrial complex. The returns on those smaller assets are significantly lower than they are on the larger assets. Just there's a, a smaller pool of investors at the higher numbers. So what we're working on right now, we've got two deals tied up um, on a syndication. So um, for those that may not know what a syndication is, it's just simply pooling money together to acquire assets. Um, so we've got these deals. Uh, again, there's an expertise that we bring to a deal where we found two very underperforming assets. We've got tenants to put in those underperforming assets so we can acquire at a lower cost base, put these tenants in. We've increased the value on day one. And now we bring these investors in, the two we're working, working on right now would be $100,000 units. So we, we, we issue a $100,000 investment to Alex or Dean. They're now playing in a category of a $10 million real estate asset and they get the value of that return as well. So we're trying to break down. I saw that as an opportunity or um, value that we could add to our clients that wanted to play in those circles, but just couldn't get up into them. Mm, that's mm. really interesting. So would that be like an, like an LLP type structure where essentially there's obviously tax advantages and everything else with that type of a play? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, the function is I've got two partners on that who are very experienced. One's a very experienced, um, he's on the, um, the fundraising side of things. He does some private 
commercial mortgage yeah. investments, and then another is a developer, and then myself being a commercial mortgage or a commercial broker. Um, we've got very specific talents that we can bring into these deals, um, identify them, add value to them, and then what we do is we hold half the asset, and then we issue units for the other half of the asset. And as an example, the two deals we've got tied up right now, like the returns will kick out to our investors are going to be somewhere between 10 and 13% annualized, um, which is Mm. something that an individual commercial real estate investor, unless you've got a million or two cash, you're not going to touch those returns. For Mm. sure. And you have, from an investor's perspective, you kind of feel like you're touching the deal a little bit more than just giving your money to a Mick, for example, like you, you, you know, the property it's yeah. real, right? Yeah. So we should, we should break that down really quickly because some people listening to the show might not understand some of the terminology. So Mick, uh, for, for a short and sweet mortgage investment corporation, you have the ability to provide them with some funds. They can lend it out based on a certain risk criteria that you agree to. Um, and in your circumstance, again, touch it, feel it, yeah, see it, etc., which is the, one of the nicest things about real estate as an investment. And and I think this would be relatively comparable to a joint venture in residential real estate yep. is what we're referring to just to kind of break things down to the listener. Um, so uh, let's let's dial it back a little bit. That's really interesting. So what I what I heard from you and tell me if I'm wrong here in saying this is is that by doing this, quote unquote, syndication, you've basically made it more accessible for the end entry level, yep. uh, a commercial investor to earn a higher rate of return um, on an underperforming asset, which provides them a greater cash flow. Um, what I want to understand is, let's go back a little bit to barriers to entry that you mentioned before initially. And again, I think a lot of people listening to this might be wondering, okay, holy crap, like that's just, whoa, my mind's blown. So how did you, how did you even get the process started into the commercial real estate investment game? Aside from your own knowledge, like what did you first start investing in yourself? Yeah. So, uh, I was doing residential real estate investing. Um, like I bought my first house when I was 20. Um, and that was, I, I borrowed off my dad's line of my parents' line of credit on a house in 2008 going into 2009. I bought a lot off a builder, had a house built. I took a risk. Uh, it, it paid off and that was a good risk to take at 20 years old and to see that or how that opportunity evolved into more. And I've just cascaded that down. Like we built, we're on our fourth house now that we built ourselves and we've done everything from like build single houses. We've done subdivisions. We've done a few different things, but it all started with one residential investment initially. Um, so those that are, that haven't invested in residential real estate or might only own their principal residence, um, you have to start very small. Like you're not going to jump into buying a $10 million strip mall. Like you need to, you need to do those slow incremental steps and I've done those and gotten up into like the, we've done some, some relatively larger ones now and had the privilege of doing that. And that's just a product of being very disciplined in the investing that I've done, but it all did start with residential real estate. And I still own a little bit of real residential real estate and it, it performs. It performs. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. It. yeah. So you haven't sold out completely. No, no, <laughs> no. So you mentioned that, um, in the in the uh, commercial space, I, I know you said this earlier, but the commercial space, you you're 100 percent looking for cash flow all day long. Yep. Residential, you just mentioned that you started with building properties. Yeah. Um, what is your thought process around? Do you bur- do you purchase buy and hold residential real estate? Yeah. So I've done the four that we've built were uh, that I built directly were principal residents, and we just rode the market up into like. Um, 
Steve Hill, I actually listened to the podcast that Steve Hill was on. So there's a good example. I did the same thing as Steve, very close to the same age as Steve did it. I happened to be in real estate at the time, not working in a bar. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I built that house or I had a builder build that house for me. And that was a, that purchase was $430,000. And we've done that four times now. And um, I won't say the value of our house today, but it's significantly more than that. We just kept building and um, buying good dirt, building good houses, and then the benefit of principal residence tax exemptions, which you guys may have touched on, but the only thing you'll ever do tax-free in your life is sell your principal residence. Um, So we've done that incredibly well. And then just being around the market, and obviously I've got a privilege of of being in the real estate market every day, but if you're not in the real estate market every day, so you're you're a casual real estate observer, be around people that are. So find a good mortgage broker, find a good realtor, buddy up with them, and Give them criteria to follow. So a few like realtors in our office, a few of them I've mentioned to them, if I'm looking for something specifically, you throw that out to the market, they'll bring you deals. And if you have a good realtor, a good mortgage broker, good lawyers, they'll do the same thing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just, I've always, I've always tried to keep myself in a position to capitalize on opportunities that I'm looking for. So to stay cash positive when I'm looking for opportunities. And um, we've been very successful with that. Yeah. You know what? We haven't ever, I don't think we've ever spent a lot of time talking about, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe in Jamie's, the previous Jamie's episode, yeah. <laughs> uh, previous episode, we spoke a little bit about, uh, the, the, uh, tax exempt advantage of purchasing your principal residence and selling that. So that's, I'm glad that you brought that up again, but I, I want to circle back on what you just said about working together with a professional because it's, uh, especially in like a, a Google age where everyone is, you know, obviously looking things up on Google and Facebook and in social media and all that kind of stuff. And there's a billion opinions coming from every which way. It's just so important to, to obviously take the time to do your due diligence and make sure you understand who you're working with, but make sure that person that you're working with is doing the business. Um, I think it's quite frequently undervalued the, the idea of having experience to a degree. And I'm not saying that you need to have somebody who's you know, closed 1000 transactions or anything of that nature, because I do believe that there's people who work harder for the business. But that being said, working with someone who is constantly active in that environment, like yourself, or like a lot of people in your office, or, or and I, I will, I will pump up our team and say like our team, because we are constantly on that hunt. It I does, would agree with that with it, your team. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers to that. <laughs> uh, we, can, we can't let that slide. Um, so Thanks, guys, for waiting for that. So, so to that point, it, it can't be undervalued to your point. So uh, being involved with uh, someone who does see uh, things from that perspective of, of uh, that experience, uh, things happening, and is involved in it day-to-day in that hustle, like you mentioned, putting it out to the world, there's so many things that I've learned in this industry that are not online. And it's not something that you could just ask someone who's on in their own little silo and get the answer to. So I, I went on a little bit of a tangent, but long I just agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> let's just go there. Um, can I can I just touch on that or yeah, expand upon that a bit? Yeah, Alex, yeah. I I totally agree with what you're saying. Or I think we're both about to say the same thing. Um, someone asked me this question very recently of like, what are you really good at? Or like, what's your superpower? And it took me a little bit of time to think about it. Like, I know what I'm not good at. And I, like, I'm very specialized in my ability and I recognize that and I surround myself with people that are incredibly good at what they do. And they don't have to be, like you say, they don't have to be a thousand transactions a year, but they need to be knowledgeable about what you're getting them to do. And like, you guys would be a great example of that, of we've got, I know a lot of the realtors that work with you guys, obviously, and um, we touch a lot of the same transactions. You guys are incredibly knowledgeable in the mortgage space, very relevant. You do a lot of deals. 
um, that's something that just is now out, out of sight, out of mind for your clients, your realtor clients and your borrowers that you're dealing with. Um, yeah, and you need that with your, your mortgage broker, your realtor, your lawyer, your accountant. Um, it just makes life so much easier. You don't have to know everything. Just know really good people in different areas. Yeah. And I mean, just to your point, like surrounding yourself with those people, but also asking those questions, like the fact that, Hey, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z, and they actually bring it to you. If you don't ask the questions, like it won't come yeah. and you can never be afraid of asking a stupid question. In my opinion, it's, uh, some of the people, some of the questions I get that, Oh, sorry if that's a stupid question. They're usually some of the best questions, right? right? right. So <laughs> there's never a stupid question. Surrounding yourself with the right people is, is always key to to success in my opinion. So, so we want to go back, uh, to something you mentioned earlier in our conversation, which is the, the fact that you're, uh, one of the owners at Royal page. And so for anybody listening to this and they, if they want to look it up, it's Royal page Wollstonecroft currently in, uh, in, in Langley, uh, British Columbia, although they have agents that serve all over the Fraser Valley and lower mainland. Um, Jamie, you're one of the owners. Uh, you also uh, run a real estate team, which you mentioned your, your brother's a part of, yep. which is pretty cool dynamic. Yep. Yep. Uh, a good friend Tucker is a part of, and, uh, you know, a number of other people, yep. um, from a business, cause I know there's people in this that listen to our podcast that are on the agent side of things. And one of the concerns that we hear from a lot of people is just managing so many different factors, like running, you know, a part owner of, uh, a brewery of <laughs> RLP, uh, a, a real estate company. And, and somehow you shut your phone off at five o'clock. I don't yeah. understand that so <laughs> talk to us just for a second or two about uh that what, what we talked about before which is surrounding yourself with those people and how like do you have a criteria to surrounding yourself with your team and the other people that you do this with yeah so we in all of our businesses have got this policy that we hire good people not necessarily the best person for the job so we can train technical ability like that's no problem like if if you own a, an electrical company, you can teach somebody how to be an electrician, but you can't teach them good ethics, good morals, and effort. That's a hard thing to teach. So in everything we've done, that's just been the focus of bringing good people on board. And, and you guys know a lot of my the people that I work with, and they are, they're just good dudes um, and, and ladies that work for us that mostly <laughs> keep us in line. Um, but we, we've just hired really good people and trusted them to do a good job and, and given them the support and the ability to train and to gain experience in the areas that, uh, will allow them to excel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like it. I, I would, like it. I would imagine you have some pretty key systems behind all that as well. And then just making sure everyone is following the correct system. I would, I would imagine that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, one of the things we, we talk about a lot in the office is if one of us gets hit by a bus tomorrow, nothing changes. Nobody knows any different. That's, that's sort of the, the theory behind all of our systems. Um, I touched on residential realtors prior and um, how hard of a job it is and mortgage brokerage is the same thing. A lot of people get into it and what I say to a lot of our newer agents is there's 10 things you need to be really good at to be a good realtor. I'm good at two of them. Like that's it. Eight out of the 10 I'm shit at. <laughs> and it, like, if you want me to fill out a, a contract properly, like it's going to take me four days to do it and I'm going to do it wrong. But we've got systems in place that cover that for me and I can do this. I can drink beer yeah. on a podcast cause yeah. that's what I enjoy doing. And I might be good at a couple of the things <laughs> that I get to do now. A lot of realtors get into the business thinking that they're a realtor. And what we try to teach our newer agents is you're not a realtor. You're a business person that happens to be in real estate. And 
the sooner you realize that, the sooner you can start to set up systems in place. And Alex, you kind of poked fun out of my phone off at five o'clock. You guys wanted to do this interview at five and I asked to do it at four because I'm home at five. Like yeah. every day clockwork, I will not miss that. I'm home for dinner. Um, and I've been able to do that for, since I've been with my, my wife for, we've been together for six or seven years and like one day a week, I'm allowed to not be home for dinner. Like that's a late night that I'm allowed or that we, we talk about that's okay, (laughs) but it's my preference that I'm home. Um, and I've been able to do that because we've set up these systems and I treat it like a business, not like I'm a realtor. That's what it's all about to me. It's like, to be honest. So that's awesome to hear. That's key. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a, a, a turn here as we as we work through the rest of uh, our conversation. But um, just again, with you, you've got your boots on the ground with the team uh, in multiple different facets of the industry uh, as an owner of a brokerage. Um, just you know, we've gone through a huge evolution with what's recently happened in, in the world and everything shifting to online. Uh, what are your anticipations for what consumers should be looking for going forward in the real estate market? And let me frame this question a little bit better. You know, one of the common things that, that we, we constantly get asked or hear when it comes to real estate agents and market is obviously about uh, slow adoption to technology. And then we also hear about the almost the opposite. Um, we hear about people um, finding new and different ways to essentially buy and sell real estate. Uh, in the U.S., for example, there's been a lot of technology changes in the last few years in the lending space, too. Like We've seen that come up here. So looking forward, going into 20, the remainder of 2020, 2021, and in the future, what kind of feedback are you providing to your agents about how to make sure to stay ahead of the game? Yeah, so a great question and is very relevant right now and will continue to be moving forward. Um, technology is only going to get more amplified. Um, what we're The communication we have with our realtors is use it as a tool. Technology will never take over real estate. It just can't. There's too much value in good realtors. And I think as data gets more transparent, and that's a big trend in real estate is the consumer has a lot more data, which some real estate professionals will push back against because that was their, their UVP, their unique value proposition was they held the data. The consumer had to deal with them to get the data. That's not the case anymore good realtors will benefit from that because that data needs to be deciphered in some way. And how you communicate that data, how you interpret that data is where value is derived. So good realtors should benefit from it. I think to a degree, like in Canada, we're a very different consumer than the US. And this is something that we've paid a lot of attention to. So Zillow is a is the big name in US real estate and gets talked about in Canada a lot. Zillow came to Canada a couple of years ago and um, I'm on the record in our brokerage is saying Zillow is a terrible option. It's a terrible um, opportunity for consumers. It's a terrible system for realtors. Canadians haven't adopted it, um, and I don't think they will. And I, I think part of the reason for that is our consumer wants to deal with a good professional. They don't want to deal with a the technology. They don't want... Um, they don't want to buy a house without talking to their their trusted advisor. And I, I just don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, and as technology is, let's say um, something could come up tomorrow that we we just don't know about. It's not on our radar right now. I think good professionals in any industry will find a way to capitalize on that opportunity. And in most industries, say outside of real estate, when a technology enters an industry, 
it's the good companies that come out, they rise to the top out of it. And it's the lower end ones that just can't evolve or can't adapt to what the consumer requires out of them through that technology change. That was good. Yeah. That, was, that was a great answer. And I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's kind of the reason that we do so much, you know, public information and education and through this podcast, have a chance to talk to someone like yourself, because I think once someone has enough information, they can almost recognize, okay, I've got enough. You do the thing. It's a little bit, it's a little bit much to your point. So that's, that's good feedback. Um, man, I've, I've got a lot today. I don't know. If yeah. I, I have <laughs> one more question before we end this. And I always learn the most from when I fail personally. And so my, one of my favorite questions for any, anyone that's successful is like, what is your biggest failure? Yeah. And what did you learn from that? Yeah. Um, so I made a $2 million mistake, like Ooh. a $2 million cash mistake, wow. which is, uh, those are one of those that you wake up in the middle of the night. If you had a chance to sleep for an hour, um, and think about, <laughs> and it ties, actually, this is a really good tie into all the or the answers I gave before of knowing good professionals and relying on them. Um, we acquired a building and uh, it needed a significant renovation. I blindly went into it with a general contractor. We just didn't do enough homework on it prior to jumping into it. We, I trusted uh, their advice, which wasn't thorough enough. Um, we didn't have the right consultants in from the start and we just got too deep into a reno project. And um, we had a, a $1.5 million renovation budget and we ended up at 3.6. Um, that hurts. Like that's a, that's a stinger. And those are, those are those ones that, um, I wouldn't change it now. Like that was a lot of money, obviously. And yeah. I'm not trying to say like, I've got all that money. Like that was a, yeah. that was a, I don't want to say the F word. We, Alex said you'd have to put a, a yeah, an explicit yeah, yeah. rating on this. Yeah. So we'll keep the F word out of this, but, um, I learned so much from it and I wouldn't change it for a second. Cause now moving forward, for myself as an investor, for my clients that I deal with, I learned so much through that process about construction, permitting, um, the time value of money during a renovation project, and obviously of that substance, every day counts. And um, uh, that was a big one. Yeah, so I learned a lot from that. So the, the lesson from that was have great professionals from the start, do more due diligence on any investment you're doing than you think you need. More due diligence is always a good thing. I like it. Yeah. Don't make a $2 million mistake, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, buddy. Really appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for having Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, boys. If any of you guys uh, want to find Jamie, best place to, to reach you, my friend. I am just not great at social media. But don't, the, don't the look Schrader for Jamie. Brothers is my is our team. Uh, you can find the Schrader Brothers Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. You can email me because I'm we'll trying link, to be we'll one of those up old in the rich fat guys. So you can email me. <laughs> Send a carrier pigeon with a letter. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll work on uh, helping you get that carrier pigeon out there. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you guys soon.